Oh yes indeed, there are more questions than answers. Like why do my New Year's resolutions always revolve around chocolate? And why are the orange creams the only candy now left to eat? Hi America, hello world. My name is Adrian Lee and I'm your host. Welcome to the show More Questions Than Answers, the only paranormal quiz show anywhere in the world. Each week my guests and I will search the world's newspapers, websites and TV shows just for you. To bring you the very best in paranormal, talk radio, entertainment and enlightenment. We will then test each other's knowledge of the week's events of the mysterious, strange, supernatural, unusual, bizarre and just plain weird. If you have just tuned in especially to hear the show, then I admire your taste. If you have just tuned in by accident, then I admire your luck. I am huddled under my quilt with a flashlight and a nice cup of tea with tonight's guests somewhere in the barren wildernesses of the Midwest Plains. With the sound of my elderly mother snoring distantly from the room next door, I swear that's getting louder. So snuggle under your covers, turn out your light, and hold on tight. The rules are very simple. Points will be awarded randomly for being interesting and for making me laugh or shiver in horror. Extra points will be available for shock and awe. Value. To help me control my rowdy panel of recidivists and reprobates, I will employ what I have called the inappropriate bell. An example of that would be... The panel have no idea what's coming. I have no idea what stories they have for tonight's show. And we are completely live and unedited. What could possibly go wrong? Many, many things if you have tuned in to the previous shows. So without any further ado, let us embrace the darkness. I'll start by introducing tonight's guest panel, the mysterious Heather Morris. She does all of her best work in the shadows and as team leader of the International Paranormal Society... She is an expert on audio and EVPs and has spent her Christmas enjoying 70s pornography and playing Twister in a wetsuit. <laughs> we move... Well, you like that, Kim, do you? you? You have a wetsuit, do you? We move mercurially now to the stoically, efficient and giggling Kim Gore. Kim's been drinking or You're still on the Christmas cooking, Sherry, aren't you? <laughs> Kim has been an effective and integral part of the International Paranormal Society and brings her love of the paranormal... And uh, escapology, and uh, she once won a competition for holding her breath. Wake up, Kim, you've won. We now move to Greg Gore. Finally, but not least, he is unflappable and driven in bringing his tech skills to the International Paranormal Society. His assiduity towards cameras and filming make me wonder what type of shows he is producing in his spare time. And Kim's blushing at that point, I might add. Greg, uh, recently over Christmas, got his Viagra mixed up with his laxatives and he has spent the last week not knowing whether he is coming or going. (laughs) (laughs) So we are full of festive New Year's cheer, which is a polite way of saying the family have plugged the toilet three times 
Over the Christmas period, the turkey is a long-forgotten carcass, the batteries have long since died in every toy, and Santa Claus is back on welfare. I think what I'd like to do is to reflect to start our show this week on the events and the stories that we've read on our show for 2013. There's been many strange, bizarre, wonderful and weird stories, and I was just wondering, I was going to go around the table tonight, and just to start the ball rolling on uh, this, this week's show... I was going to ask you what your favourite stories were of the last year. Heather, I'm going to start with you. You actually um, have a bit more control tonight because it's uh, a new year. Um, I thought I'd, I'd share out the responsibility for writing down points. There's been many complaints said to me over the last <laughs> few weeks over the fact that I seem to be winning um, when I'm writing down the points for the competition we're having at the moment. So uh, in a philanthropic gesture, I thought it would be worthwhile perhaps sharing out the responsibility for that so for what it's worth heather tonight has the responsibility for writing down tonight's scores and for the jokes i've already said you're going to give me a plus i can see minus how am i on minus 10 i haven't started the show my stories are fresh in front of me and haven't even been read yet well they better be good then oh they're excellent (laughs) wow so your favorite story of 2013 it's going to involve in some shape or form, making me look small and belittling me, no doubt. So uh, let's hear them. Oh, no, you should know what my favorite story was. It involved a naked man. Well, they always do, don't they? Yes. And he was pretending to be a Sasquatch. Oh, no. I know where this is going. Yeah, okay, I remember this story. And I'm not sure, but around what age was the guy that tackled him and held him down? Well, the farmer that lived next door, the the full story, if you remember, this is one of the first stories we had on the show going back. And Uh uh, yeah, this guy had got high or he'd got drunk and he was running around the woods Uh naked and he thought he was a Sasquatch. Uh And so the farmer who lived next door, who was of... Fairly advanced years, I would suggest. Uh-huh. So he was he was an old guy. Managed to tackle him to the ground and a uh, fight ensued. And then the police turned up and got lost in the forest. And, and what uh, was your conclusion? Well, the conclusion was, according to you, that the gentleman was quite elderly. He owned a farm and uh, his name was MacDonald. <laughs> <laughs> so Heather thought this was very funny. To lead me up the garden path and ask me some very searching... I thought it was unusual when I was reading the story out. The AU was paying so much interest because normally... You I'm know, sleeping. You're sleeping or drinking alcohol. And uh, secondly, I, I was. I know I was being led somewhere, but I couldn't quite work out as I was you reading... You didn't know you were being led anywhere. Well, I thought it was very odd. You would ask me how old the guy was. And I looked and I think it was 58, something like that. And uh, then you mm-hmm. said to me, what's his name? And his name was MacDonald. Then you asked me if he lived on a farm. And uh, this is a true you story. You went into it. Yeah, yeah. I went into I, I talked about... Talked about four-wheelers. I talked about and Arabelle farming. And, uh, and then about I did animals. nothing but lay and laugh. Yes, we all <laughs> And then you caught on. <laughs> and that's your favorite story of the year, is it? Yes, naked men, Sasquatch, and old MacDonald. That's well, right. Who can't have fun with those three things that's over right. Christmas? What what for you, Kim, was uh, the highlight story or the standout story for you of 2013? I learned the meaning of a new word this year. Ooh, only the one. <laughs> <laughs> Scatomancy. Oh, yes, yes. You, do you want to elaborate on that story at all? Put some uh, color on that for us? Um, telling your future, your fortune, by your doo-doo. This is very true. We had a story, didn't we, about three or four weeks ago now of a gentleman that could tell your fortune by looking at the state of your underwear 
And uh, the contents... Your poo. Yes, he was going through the motions, absolutely. You don't poo in your underwear, do you? Well, it depends what you did over Christmas, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> My dad always thought it was funny during Christmas dinner to uh, fart, and then one year he followed through and it wasn't very funny anymore. But um, <laughs> if, you, if you're looking for family Christmas traditions, there'd be one of them. There's next year's Christmas card. <laughs> I, uh, That's I l- one point for me. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Heather's taken the lead early on. Who knew? Who knew? Greg, for you, what was the uh, story that stood out for 2013 in your memory? It was a story of the ghost hunters that were in an old abandoned plantation. That's right, yeah, in Louisiana. They, they couldn't find anything, so they burned the place down. They, this is, I don't know why that's funny. It's appalling. <laughs> But uh, you're absolutely it's right. It's unbelievable, actually. Yes. That they, anybody would do. They, they were stoned, and um, you're absolutely right. We had a run of stories of ghost hunters going into various buildings. I think uh, one set of ghost hunters went into a tunnel in a haunted location and got shot, didn't they, by a woman next door to the tunnel who wasn't mm-hmm. very happy. There was the uh, plantation in Louisiana that burnt down because they was all stoned and uh, smoking, and uh, one thing led to another. And there was another story, wasn't it? Well, you read a story out. Was it there last? Was, it wasn't my story, but I'm remembering a story of where the police became involved because the ghost hunting team didn't contact and let the police know what they were doing. That's, that was in Gettysburg, wasn't that's it? That's absolutely right. Um, that was your story, by the way. Wasn't it? <laughs> okay. it was, yeah. So, uh, yeah, absolutely right. And, uh, yeah, we don't get a very good name, do we, due to things happening like that. I like the story. There's two stories that, that, that stand out for me. There was an interesting one. If you remember from Canada where they had a bottle of alcohol and uh, was the toe, they had a mummified toe. Was it in the alcohol or was it in the glass when they poured it? No, they have a mummified toe and what they would do is they would put it in a shot glass and then... And then you drank the alcohol out of it and then they'd put the mummified toe back. You see, you're supposed to just not swallow or drink the mummified toe and a gentleman came in to the bar. And he ate it. And the whole thing went down. So they didn't get their toe back for 24 but, hours. And remember on that story, they were actually searching for a new one. Yep. Yes. So if anyone has a mummified toe that they don't mind donating to Quebec, where there's a bar where they serve drinks with body parts in, then you need to get in contact Maybe they with already them. have one now. We'd have to do some Maybe research. Maybe somebody donated one, just yeah. lobbed one off. Christmas, you know. That's a terrible thing to do. I would uh, hate to lose a big toe, for example. I really like wearing flip-flops. So at that moment, you'd never be able to wear a flip-flop sandal ever again, would you? It depends on which toe. Do you call them flip-flops or thong? Well, a thong in Britain is uh, a piece of underwear that kind of (laughs) splits you in two and messes up your feng shui. Gives you wedgings. It it certainly splices you. It doesn't matter which toe you lose, does it? Because if you lose your big toe on either foot, you're still not going to be able to wear a sandal, are you? You're only going to be able to wear it on one foot at that point. No. Well, how can you wear a sandal if you lose your big toe? How's that? I mean, a flip-flop sandal. Because it wedges, doesn't it, between your, your big toe and your second toe? Can't you get a fake toe or something? <laughs> fake toe. Yes, we'll just go to a fake... A prosthetic toe? No, I, uh, the first thing in the morning, I'm going to go to Fake Toes R Us, because there's one in every town, isn't there? <laughs> Let's go to Fake Toe Hut. Yes. <sighs> order one in my Happy Meal. <laughs> you, you, found a, you, found a, you found a toe in it's a Happy no Meal. It's no worse than some of the weird stories we've come across this past year. Wasn't there a camel's toe found in something or other, if I remember rightly? I'm just imagining that. No, you made that up. No, there is. There was a story we did involving a camel's toe. 
I swear there was. No, you brought the camel's toe up when I told you the toe story is what <laughs> happened. Oh, I'm yes. sure camels have them. Yes, I do remember. <laughs> that deserves points, surely. Yep, minus. Minus. <laughs> I've not stu- How many points am I on at the moment? Minus 11. And I've not started my stories. Oh, the quiz that's hasn't- rough trots for you. <laughs> the quiz hasn't st- <laughs> It's going to be a long night, boys and girls. We will start. With our first round, ghosts and hauntings. One of the things I want to say very briefly before we go into that is um, I was thinking about New Year's resolutions. Does anyone still do those anymore? Is anyone around the table thinking about a New Year's resolution, something that they couldn't do at any other time of the year but will decide on the 1st of January to to make a, a deal to do that with themselves? Yes. What are you planning to do? Give me more points. I'm planning to not have any. You don't have any points? I'm planning to not have any resolutions. Ah, so your resolution is not to have any resolutions. Correct. Do two negatives not make a positive, so you now have resolutions? No. I'm confused. <laughs> Kim, <laughs> was there anything you remember as a child you remember having your resolutions? My mum always wanted me to have resolutions that revolved around things like doing washing up and uh, laundry and cleaning my shoes, but that normally only lasted about a week. I have some goals and ambitions for this year, but I wouldn't say... They were necessarily well. I've got a book coming out um, in January, February. I hope on the history of the Native American Indians and the first contact between the Indians and the early pioneers in the Midwest. So I wanted to. I'm I'm hoping that will come out and be successful. And we're planning to do an investigation and hold a big event for the weekend in Pipestone, hopefully in the spring. So those are two goals I have. But those uh, are goals. Yeah, I wouldn't say they were resolutions. Kim, is there anything you remember from your past that you? did in terms of resolutions or is there something you're, you're planning I this do year? remember one specifically um, when my first son went off to college I thought that I would have so much more time that I should be able to exercise oh, I and can, it, it I worked can tell for by looking years. at you that didn't work <laughs> it, it worked for two years till the second son graduated oh, that's another minus two. <laughs> oh man you're not, do you want to borrow another pen if the ink runs out I've not started my stories yet how can I be on minus 13 watch I'm, yourself mister Ooh. So you give someone power and it just corrupts absolutely, doesn't it? Greg, do you recall any resolutions at all from your youth? I've tried not to ever do any resolutions. Because you're perfect. No, I know I'll never make it. You won't get past the first week. Yeah, they are there to be broken. I'd be interested if there's any listeners that have actually kept a resolution in their youth or in the past and have stuck to that. I'd be very interested to know. You can chat to me or you can email me at any time. You can go to our Facebook site, More Questions and Answers with Adrian Lee, or you can send me an email on mqta at rocketmail.com. We race into our first round of ghosts and hauntings, and I'm apparently 13 points down. It's the ghost of Jacob Marley and Jacob Marley's cat. There we go. Who knew? There was a very interesting story this week. I'm going to start by reading this uh, first text here. It says, Ghostly Hand Appears in woman's Instagram selfie. And I'm sure many of our listeners have seen this on the internet recently. It's been a bit of a sensation. And uh, it's been really um, produced and put out there on the internet. It says, An unexpected guest appeared in a photo with a woman and her son recently. She uploaded the self-portrait on Instagram earlier this week, and her celebrity father noticed a ghostly hand in the image. Irish singer-songwriter Bob Geldof noticed something strange in a photo that his 24-year-old daughter Peaches took recently. Peaches? 
His daughter's name's Peaches, that's right. There's other weird names as well in the family, like Tiger Lily. And, um, but yeah, Peaches was his daughter. Do you know who Bob Geldof is? I mean, I'm guessing you all know him, yeah? No Kim clue. very blank. No, you don't know. He's the guy that was, was in... Was he in Lord of the Rings? Not to my knowledge. He was in the Boomtown Rats that was very famous in the late 70s for singing songs like um, I Don't Like Mondays. Tell me why I don't like Mondays. I think no? that's another minus too. Oh, yeah. don't you uh, why is this collaborative this is bordering on racism <laughs> I want to see I want to see the radio station's policies on bullying in the workplace I um, <laughs> but Bob Geldof's greatest contribution I guess is that oh he, that's Gandalf oh that's Bob Gandalf <laughs> you must know Bob Gandalf he lives on the corner old guy with a beard always muttering and wandering around you know, playing with hobbits yeah you must know Bob <laughs> <laughs> playing with hobbits sounds like something you could be imprisoned for yeah we've not seen him around the youth club recently ever since that injunction went into place hobbit youth club there's all these hobbits running around that can't see over the top of the table tennis table and need stalls to stand on to play porn darts yes hobbit youth club which uh, bob gandalf can no longer visit due to an unfortunate series of incidents um yeah, Bob Geldof was very famous. <laughs> I wonder where that was going. <laughs> he was famous for founding Live Aid. He was the guy who uh, put the idea of Live Aid together back there in 1985. <laughs> and he's been knighted for it. He's Sir Bob Geldof. But he has a daughter called Peaches. And uh, she's a British model, journalist and television presenter. And uh, she took a photograph with her and her son, Astala. And they were taking a bath earlier this week when she decided to take She a- took a bath with her son? I think she was bathing him, but I do recall... That's not an uncommon thing, is it? Parents bath with their babies and children. How old was he? 21. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't come from Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> We're never going to be allowed to eat cheese again. Oh, dear. Well, that, that's going to help you in many ways. Wow. <laughs> that's another minus thing. But... Um, yeah, he, she, was, she was bathing her son and she took a photograph, a close-up photograph of them and she put it on Instagram. And in the photo you see a strange ghostly hand that can be seen over her right shoulder and it really is quite weird. It looks like a little fetus almost. Geldof said on her account, um, she said there's no one else there. There was no one else's hand. There was no one around. And she was holding her baby around the waist and taking the photograph with her other hand. So she said it couldn't possibly be her other hand. Um, because both of them were in use she says um, the baby's hand is round her shoulder so it's totally weird that it should appear it's right by her hair actually and she says how terrifying is this some of Geldof's friends think the hand is actually her hand Geldof insists that the hand isn't hers or her son's she believes that the hand belongs to a spirit of a woman and the ghost is friendly and maternal Geldof says that there is a good feeling in the home and she thinks the ghost likes being around young children it is Great. Bob. it's not the ghost of michael jackson is it if you actually know this hand doesn't have a glove on it i will say if you actually look really closely at the background you can actually see um a boy standing in the mirror behind her apparently but i'm not so sure about that but um yeah what mum doesn't need a second ghostly pair of hands to help her out i will send that photo around if people want to look at it there i'll show that to kim and heather it's a very odd photograph but that's what's been going around on the internet for the last couple of weeks and it is a very it looks slightly deformed and twisted as well it looks like a little fetus hand coming out well and anybody that would say that that's either her hand or her son's hand she then is uh what do they call those acrobats that can twist any which way 
a, a girlfriend you'd like to have? No. I don't know. <laughs> a contortionist. 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 Yes, she would have to be a contortionist for that to be her hand. And it looks too small for it I did to be date her a, hand. I did date a contortionist once. But, but when it broke, just once, when it broke up, it, it left me in a very when diffi- it broke off. When, it bro- when we broke up, <laughs> it left me in a very difficult position. <laughs> <sighs> Heather, what have you got for me in terms of ghosts and hauntings this week? How am I doing for points there? By the way, I've got my BDI on that. Uh, it- minus eighteen. Excellent. <laughs> and you're on you're on a healthy one. I see. That's right. Bearded. British man banned from darts match for looking like Jesus. And who, we had to pay the harpist $50 an hour. And it took a 10... It was temp, just... It I, took, well, quiet. Oh, You're on minus 18. I am. I need to get some points back. <laughs> it took a 10 minutes to get that harp up I, the stairs. Yeah, I know. I'm being discriminated against because I look like the son of God, darts fan said. It's really distressing. For the second year in a row, a British man with long hair and a beard was banned from attending darts match in Minehead, Somerset, because he looks too much like Jesus. The Romans wouldn't let him in. Is that where the Romans are? Uh, There was Romans in Britain from 0 to 400 AD, and there's many fabulous buildings left behind. In fact, there's a wall that was built by the Emperor Hadrian, and uh, there was many a joke set at school combining my name with that wall. So, yes. (laughs) Last year, Nathan Grindle... Grindle, that's almost like the Lord of the Rings thing we got going on, was ejected from the Cash Converter Players Championship between Phil Taylor and Kim Hybricks after Jesus Chance started sweeping through the crowd and security personnel became fearful that the disturbance would interrupt the players. This year, Grindle's looks prevented him from getting, even getting in the door. He was going to collect his ticket to the event when two big beefhead security guards, including the head of security, dragged me to the office where they told me they wouldn't let me watch darts this year. They then nailed me to a tree outside. Oh, oh, I feel bad for you. Why? You shouldn't be joking about Jesus. <laughs> you're the one who's reading a story about Jesus attending And a you're going to nail him to a tree. He was nailed to a tree. It's written in Mark. He says yeah, he was so anybody to... that looks like Jesus, you're going to nail to a tree? It says he was suspended from a tree. In actual fact, historically, the Romans didn't crucify people to about 200 AD. So uh, it's very interesting when you read Mark, and it says that he was suspended from a tree rather than nailed to a cross. It'd be very interesting historically if Jesus wasn't actually crucified, but suspended from a tree or a post or a pole, which is what they did back in the day. Because obviously the cross is the symbol of that religion, isn't it? It's a very prominent piece of iconography. So it'd be very interesting if that was disproved. I think there's papers being written on that, whether they actually crucified him or not. Do continue. This is a fabulous story. I felt quite intimidated. The head of security told me that they would not be letting me into the tournament because they did not want a repeat of last year. It's not my fault I look like Jesus. I'm not trying to look like Jesus. I'm not even religious. I'm just an average Joe. I haven't done anything wrong. Grindle is a laborer from Abingdon, Oxfordshire, and he keeps his beard long to hide the scars on his face. He's hoping to be compensated for missing work and buying fuel for the 280-mile round trip. At the end of the day, I'm an adult, and I feel they could have dealt with this situation a lot better. I'm being discriminated against because I look like the Son of God. It's just really distressing. When he says he can't do anything about it, he can shave and get a haircut. Surely. 
But he likes the beard because it hides his scars. There was other religious people at that tournament. Did you know that? Because there Who? was there was one occasion. Gandhi. No, they got there was apparently one occasion where they got one dead nun an eighty. <laughs> you have to be. A, Kim's a darts player. That's amused you, isn't it? One dead nun an eighty. I'm going to go to Kim. It. Kim needs some it's points. Terrible. Only me and you I'm would... going to give myself five points for that. You're now on six, are you? Yep. Okay. Kim, what have you got for me this week in Ghosts and Hauntings? I'm actually going to read the title for this one twice. Okay. The first time I'm going to read it the way the journalist wrote it. Mm-hmm. Tasered. The journalist has written it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm as bad as what I'm going to make fun of. Naked man covered in blood. Dirt claiming to be God. Threatening police with his wrath. Commas really important, aren't they? Yes, they are. It's amazing how many stories I read each week where I have to go through beforehand and correct the grammar and the spelling so when I'm on air, I know whereabouts I can breathe. Because obviously it's really important to breathe between sentences. There are times when you've done a whole paragraph and you suddenly turn red because you realise you haven't breathed all the way through that particular paragraph. (sighs) But it's, yes, now, now put the comma in and see what difference that makes tasered naked man covered in blood and dirt claiming to be god threatening police with his wrath wow there's a lot of that, that harpist we're getting the money for aren't we <laughs> if we're paying her 50 dollars an hour i want her to keep playing um at 140 <laughs> <laughs> and relax 1.40 a.m. this Sunday, police in Balerica, massachusetts found 20 year old patrick c taylor naked his face and body covered in blood and dirt. He allegedly told officers he was God and threatened them with his wrath as he began to walk into the road. When they tried to subdue Taylor, he resisted to the point where he had to be tased five times before he finally fell to the ground. Wow. In court, Taylor, who has no record, pled not guilty to charges of open and gross lewdness, disorderly conduct, and resisting arrest. Taylor of Tewksbury was released on personal recognizance with a pre-trial conference scheduled for January 28. Police said Taylor showed no signs of intoxication or drug use, and Taylor's father told Judge Lawrence Pierce that his son has no history of substance abuse or mental illness. Or wraths. So that's more questions than answers. Why did he act that way? And why does God live in Tewksbury? And why hasn't he been introduced to his son Jesus? Have you ever seen someone get tased or been tased yourself? I've never been tased myself, but uh, I've seen some video footage. It's it's very unpleasant, isn't it? And it took five times. Wow. I uh, what's the what's the guy's name again? His last name was Taylor. Wasn't Taylor. It? What's his first name? Does it say Patrick? Patrick. That's really interesting because the darts player that was taking part in that darts game that got interrupted by someone thinking they were Jesus in the auditorium is Phil Taylor. Is that right? Have a look at the let, story. Let me check real Phil, quick. Phil Taylor is a legend at darts. He's like the world champion. He's been world champion 18 times. Yep, Phil Taylor. Phil Taylor, and that's Pat Taylor. Mm-hmm. How bizarre. There that's are fun. indeed more questions than answers. I've got a very interesting article here, keeping on the theme of ghosts and hauntings. It says, 10 signs that deceased loved ones give to let us know they are around. After our loved ones cross over, they are very anxious to let us know that they are okay. And uh, we're aware of what's going on in their lives. If we're not able to feel them around us, they will often give us signs that we cannot ignore. The person who is given the sign usually knows he or she is receiving a message from the other side. It says, I always tell my clients that they do not have to look for signs. 
the signs will come to them. So these are 10 signs. I'm going to wish through very quickly because I thought this was a really interesting list that's been uh, placed on the internet this week. It says, uh, these are the 10 signs that your loved ones are coming to see you. The first one, number one, it says they come through as an animal. Our loved ones are able to use their energy to go inside of an animal, such as a butterfly, ladybug, cow, <laughs> bird or dragonfly. <laughs> so if your loved one comes to you as a cow, um, I would avoid touching the others, perhaps. But the animal usually does something it would not normally do, such as land on a back at the window. You wouldn't want a cow landing on you as a sign, would they? My mother used to tell me a really interesting poem when I was a child. I think it went something along the lines of uh, Little birdie flying by, dropped a message from the sky. Farmer Gore said, wiping his eye, it's a lucky thing that cows don't fly. So there we go. If a cow is pecking at your window or a cow lands on you from above, that is a sign that your loved ones are trying to contact you from the other side. Number two, it says they place common objects such as feathers, coins or rocks in our paths. Our loved ones like to place things over and over again in our paths that were significant to them. Number three, they give off fragrances. We can often tell our deceased loved ones are around us when we smell their perfume, flowers, cigar, or <laughs> cigarette smoke, or granddad's wind, I suspect. Yes, I can smell Uncle John's colostomy bag. He's coming through. He's coming through. Your granddad's coming through. Hang on. Number, si- uh, number four, it says they make songs come on at the perfect time. We know they are around when their favourite song comes on at the right time and with the exact words we need to hear. Often the same song is played in many different places. An example of that would be Beat It, of course, when you're in bed all alone at night with your laptop. Number five, they come to us in our dreams. One of the easiest ways for them to come through for us is in our dreams. All we need to do is to ask them to come, and they will. However, we shouldn't ask them to wake us up after they've come. How many housewives have said that on a regular basis? I'm just reading the articles. It's here in black and white. Number six, they show us the same numbers over and over again. The loved ones will often give us numbers that are relevant to them, or such as birthdays and anniversaries, for example. Number seven, Heather's giving me two extra points at the moment. (laughs) Now, I've already read out number two. I'm not quite sure what you're saying. Number seven, they allow us to feel peaceful. For no reason. When our loved ones are in the room, they usually make us feel so loved and at peace. Number eight, they place thoughts in our heads because they are there in spirit form and they can produce images and thoughts for us, but they don't need to have an audible voice, of course. Therefore, they give us messages telepathically. Number nine, it says they love to play with electricity. They turn electricity on and off. They like to flicker lights, turn the television and radio on and off and make appliances beep for no apparent reason so i'm sure that explains some of the strange noises coming from kim's bedside cabinet and number 10 <laughs> they make buzzing noises in our ears because our loved ones is speak that coming to us. from your cabinet too well i've not got that close to it <laughs> because our loved ones speak to us on a different higher frequency we may hear ringing in our ears when they are trying to get our attention so there's the top 10 ways in which our deceased loved ones are apparently trying to contact us if anyone has those experiences listening to the show or at any time and they wish to uh, make that known to me i'm always interested to hear your stories you can write to me on mqta at rocketmail.com or you can visit our facebook site more questions and answers with adrian lee and you will see all of tonight's fabulous stories for your perusal there's photographs and all kinds of fabulous things on there for you to look at has anyone got any more stories on the haunting and on the ghost. If not, we shall yep. move swiftly on to stories 
of UFOs, cryptozoology, green men and hairy beasties. And that is a Wookiee that's trodden on a piece of Lego that a child has left behind on the floor after Christmas Day. Heather, <laughs> would you like to start with uh, UFOs, cryptozoology, green men, hairy beasties and all things strange and bizarre? Satanists seek spot on Oklahoma State House steps. <laughs> hang on, hang on a second, hang on a second. Greg, you're going to have to play that. Play that again. <laughs> ding, ding. Ding, ding. Ding, ding. Ding, ding. I, I, I. Ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure what happened there, but I'm scared. So a Satanist has taken up residence. No, no, no. In their zeal to tout their faith in the public square, conservatives in Oklahoma may have unwittingly opened the door to a wide range of religious groups, including Satanists, who are seeking to put their own statue next to the Ten Commandments monument on the State House steps. The New York-based Satanic Temple saw an opportunity. It notified the state's Capital Preservation Commission that it wants to donate a monument and plans to submit one of several possible designs this month, said Lucian Greaves, a spokesman for the temple. We believe that all monuments should be in good taste and consistent with community standards. Greaves wrote in a letter to the state officials, our proposable monument um, is a homage to the historic Satan and will certainly abide by these guidelines. The Christians feel like they are under attack as a result of the political correctness. He dismissed the notion of Satanists erecting a monument at the Capitol. I think these Satanists are a group or a different group entirely, the Cleveland Republican Slaughterville candidate said. You put them under the nut category. So what's basically happened is they've put the Ten Commandments up as a sculpture. Yeah, the, it's a the, huge. I saw it. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's on two big stone tablets, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> You're such a turd. <laughs> and uh, um, the Satanists, the devil worshippers, have now said with free freedom of speech. That's right. That they actually want their own to be commemorated. Um, it own. actually said in the article that, you know, if you're going to allow one religious group to come in, you got to allow them all. But when the country, I know I understand what you're saying, but uh, intrinsically the, the Christian church is so fundamentally interwoven into your government. I mean, you've even got In God We Trust written on your money, and I don't know any other country that has that. Europe and Britain in particular is a very secular society. So I find it very odd that you would uh, allow other other religions to open the door in that. And this particular um, spot, it also mentioned that um, they are the belt buckle of the Bible belt. And so um, they raised the money, I think it was $20,000, and they put up the sculpture. And as soon as they allowed that on, on government property, they said, all right. The Satanist said, we want one too, and you can't deny us. That's interesting that it's on government property. That then puts that into the jurisdiction of the government, doesn't it? It's not like it's on private property or property that's outside of the government. That's very odd. I wonder if they could turn them upside down. I mean, Satanists, do they have, it's been known, isn't it, that an upside-down cross, for example, we spoke about the crucifix at the top of the show, um, upside-down is meant to represent Satanist values, isn't it? Well, the it, in the article, there is some further information. One of the things that they stated is that they wanted to submit a pentagram for the monument, oh. and they wanted to put it right by the Ten Commandments. And that's one of a couple of them. Another one is an interactive... Um, Satanist something for children. 
with free tripod. Uh, um, so they can learn. Trident. So they can learn about the religion, and it's supposed to be interactive and fun for kids. Right next to the Ten Commandments, only supporting Satan. So <laughs> they've opened a can. You've you've got some very strange issues in this country. I, I will say that an upside down cross is regularly seen on certain churches. I wouldn't blanketly. That's say because that. a nail. Came undone and it accidentally it, it, fell down. It just came down. It's only it's only hanging from the nail at the bottom. Well, I was going to go on to say, I think I'm right in saying that St. Paul, when he was about to be crucified, said that he didn't want to be crucified in the same way as Jesus because he was below Jesus. You know, no one can touch Jesus. So he didn't want to have the same death as Jesus had. So I think I'm right in saying that St. Paul got crucified upside down. So if you ever see a church to St. Paul, it normally presents a crucifix upside down on the church walls outside or inside on the altar. But it doesn't have any Satanist value. It's just that St. Paul wanted to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to be he didn't want to be compared to Jesus, I guess. Kim, what have you got for us? Oh, hold in- on. I need to give myself some points. Please. See, I was looking to <laughs> swiftly move on. How's Kim doing, by the way? She's on four. And what's Greg got? Oh, wait, that's Greg. He's Greg, got four. For playing the harp, yeah. Yes. And Kim's on two because she hasn't got to talk very much yet. But uh, it's coming. It's early days. We're it warming is. up. And I think Greg deserves points for making the sound of the cow. That was quite impressive, actually. Yes, so now he's on six. I know he's been practicing all Christmas, cow sounds and anything both. And the harp. And the harp. He's had a very busy Christmas. Who knew that he'd get a CD, How to Play the Harp, in 12 weeks? In 12 minutes. <laughs> I once I once got um, Learn Arabic. Do you know the Rosetta Stone? Yes. You can get the CDs. I got one on uh, Learn Arabic, and the first lesson was uh, We Have Your Wife. Um, Kim, <laughs> moving I am tired of not giving you any points. I, I'm going to see if I can break a record for the least amount of points possible. Uh, you're not close to me yet. I've, I know you've had a few good ones, but I'm on minus 19. I've only read two stories. So, Kim, what have you got for me tonight in the category of UFOs, green beasties, green beasties, <laughs> <laughs> hairy aliens? I guess you can have hairy. There's a lot of books, isn't there, comparing Bigfoot and uh, extraterrestrials and saying they're the same thing, I guess. What have, what have you got for me tonight? Well, I don't have hairy, but I have feathery. Oh. We have a sock monkey named Rooster Monkburn whose toy gun got confiscated by the TSA. This is a monkey with a... Wow, that's a big cock, Greg. This is um, there's a monkey with a gun. Yes. Wow. Um, TSA official in St. Louis does not want to monkey around. She's even willing to confiscate a two-inch toy gun belonging to a sock monkey. Or it's, my ex. Oh, it's a sock. It's a, <laughs> what, when they mention the word two-inch? Yeah, that's right. Oh, man. Straight away. Give her points. I'll give myself some points for that. Minnesota is a very cold state, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the gun-toting sock monkey is named Rooster Monkburn and belongs to Phyllis May, a woman who makes quirky dolls out of her home in Redmond, Washington. She and her husband were on their way from St. Louis to SeaTac last Wednesday and were carrying Rooster Monkburn, an eyepatch-wearing spoof of Rooster Cogburn. May and her husband were being screened when a TSA official went through the bag and found the two-inch-long toy pistol. She said, this is a gun. I said, no, it's not a gun. It's a prop for my monkey. The agent then told May, (laughs) if I held it up to your neck, you wouldn't know if it was real or not. It looked like a real monkey. (laughs) (laughs) May said she told the agent, you're kidding me, right? 
but the agent insisted the tiny pistol looked like a real gun and had to be confiscated. May thought the reaction to the monkey's toy gun was bananas. Rooster Monkburn has been disarmed, so I'm sure everyone on the plane was safe. <laughs> so she was trying to get a sock monkey onto an aeroplane that had a toy pistol with yes. it. Yes. I tell you how things have changed. That When I was a child, I had a toy gun in my hand. And we were going through customs and excise. And I can't even remember where we was going. I, I, it may have even been over to America, actually, back in 1980. But uh, as small children do as they're walking through an airport with their mother, I just handed my mum the gun that I was holding. It was a, just a plastic kind of gun that you'd have you know, to be cowboys and Indians. And my mum walked through the whole of customs and excise holding a gun in her hand because she didn't pay any attention to what I was handing her. It could have been a toy car, it could have been a Sharpie, just things kids hand to their mothers. So it was only when we kind of got through customs and excise that she realised she'd walked through the entire building holding a replica gun in her hand. But uh, I guess that's how things have changed. And then on the journey back, we visited Disneyland and I got a Davy Crockett rifle. So this was a great thing to buy at Disneyland. You know, we went into the gift shop. They were obviously wanting to sell lots of items, you know, the Davy Crockett hat and so forth. And uh, I got bought a Davy Crockett rifle. And then the problem arose that how does one get a replica rifle onto an aeroplane? And we ended up putting it in a cardboard tube and it was stuck in the hold. But this was Pan Am and this was like 1980 and uh, before any of these things. You don't even allow nail clippers. How many people do you know have held up an aeroplane with nail clippers? If you don't fly this plane to Uganda now at this minute, I'm going to cut your nails and I'll cut them so close to the cuticles your fingers will bleed. And I'll give you a nice (laughs) polish and buff them. You can do whatever you wish. Wow. Did the king get points? I'm not in charge of points anymore, am I? So I'm concerned that they're they're being... You're doing a lot of this, and you should be doing this. I think there's a lot lot of power going to your head there, actually. Don't forget (laughs) I'll be doing the points again next show. I think she gets five points. Okay. Very random, random proportion of points. I've got a story. This comes under cryptozoology and discovering of new animals for example the Loch Ness Monster the Yeti you know finding we're finding new species and new animals all the time I think I read a report last year that said they found 12,000 new species just in last year alone half of them were at the Great Barrier Reef in Australia of all things it says this is a report by a biologist in Uganda this week Uh, this is why they wanted to fly the plane to Uganda it says I discovered a new species of animal up my nose It was about three days after I'd left Africa and the pain in my nose became too severe to ignore. Starting as a dull ache, niggling at the edge of my consciousness, it had gradually built in intensity to the point at which I had to stop what I was doing to investigate further. I think that's called a good rake around in Britain and uh, I don't know. I want to know where he had his nose. Well, this, this is where we are now. He said I'd been unpacking items from an expedition to Western Uganda where I'd been observing chimpanzees. I'm a pathobiologist and research infectious diseases in nature. It was partly deep revulsion that I had led, that had led to my ignoring the symptoms at first. I had a pretty good idea what was going on and uh, I'd experienced a similar sensation before. So using an angled mirror and moving my body awkwardly, I was able to peer up my nose with the aid of a flashlight. Ugh. I knew I had to remove the tick with great care. If any part of it was left behind, I might end up with a very nasty infection. I also needed to avoid killing the creature as I removed it, in case I caused it to release potentially 
disease-ridden saliva into my bloodstream. I had all the tools I needed right there in the lab. Despite having to work at a contorted angle, I was able to use a pair of forceps to grasp the tick's mouth parts, which were buried deep in my flesh and firmly yanked the creature out. The pain was searingly intense. Nevertheless, it was out and all in one piece. As I sealed the tick into a tube and put it in the freezer, I reflected on how it had come to stow itself away undetected. It must have been waiting in ambush on the forest floor as I passed, then made its way up my body. Discovering it in my nose had been alarming enough, but thinking about it crawling across my face to get there was truly disturbing. Once I got the genetics report back from the lab, though, my unease turned to excitement. The DNA sequence of the tick could not be matched with any existing database. At the very least, my specimen was a member of a species that had never been genetically tested before, but it could well be a type of previously unknown species to science. A biologist can spend a whole career hoping to make such a breakthrough, and there's a special kudos attached to being able to carry out a study on a subject of which you have personal experience. The discomfort and revulsion I went through is very reasonable trade-off. I felt genuinely grateful to the tick for choosing me as its host. So this guy was working with chimpanzees in Uganda. A tick went up his nose. He came back to Britain. He pulled it out. And it is a brand new species of animal never, ever been seen by science before. That's exciting. I'm just pleased he never found a new species of gazelle, actually, because that would have been more painful at that point. (laughs) Where was he from again? He's British. So going back to your childhood, what I'd like you to do for me... I don't know what I found up my nose. (laughs) What strange things have the panel had stuck in their noses, their ears, or other orifices? Children always mess around and stick things in their nose and ears. Did you ever have that as a child? You've never stuck anything up your nose and your ears? Never. A crown or? No. Barbie shoe? Never. I didn't play with Barbies. What did you play with? Dead animals? Roadkill? G.I. Joe. You were so poor that you made roadkill puppets. You got a ball. No, that was you. Don't you remember? I listened to some of your stories. This is true. Kim, you never had anything. The only nose story I can think of that way was I had a nephew who put peas up his nose. (laughs) Did he then fire them out? Like a pea shoot. I don't remember. Wow. What about you, Greg? Greg, no, any, anything stuck in any strange orifices? I don't think shit? so. Not that I can remember. Nothing stuck in your ear as a nose? The really nope. sad part is I can feel this coming right now. You've stuck stuff somewhere it shouldn't be, haven't you? Yes, I have. It was a very lonely afternoon. I managed to get, <laughs> when I was a small child, for, I don't know how this happened, but I managed to, uh, I had a, a little tank for my G.I. Joe, and it fired missiles. And I managed to get one of those missiles stuck in my ear. And uh, I went to my mum and she pulled it out with tweezers. So uh, this is where... You made me think of a story. I've broken a story for you. When was the last time you thought of this, Kim? A year ago when I was ready to go to the emergency room. With a missile? (laughs) I had a gnat in my ear. Really? And it was buzzing so loud and driving me crazy to the point where I was going to go to the emergency room. And I finally got it out. How, how did you lure it? Did you get a piece of cheese and lure it out? <laughs> In a box. Yeah, with a box. What a, yes. what a nest attracted to. <laughs> well, and I was driving at the time, so I just kept working at it and working at it. And if I didn't, <laughs> I was uh, going to be traveling through the town where I go to a hospital at. And if um, if I hadn't gotten it out of my ear by the time I hit that town, I was going to stop. And I got it out 
So, raking around with a pencil, the uses of a pencil, ladies and gentlemen. I'd he, say he was a great American picker <laughs> or British picker. Do we have crickets? Is this a joke? Is this going somewhere? It was funny. Okay. I well, laughed internally. Give yourself minus five points for that. You're not in control. <laughs> <laughs> and don't I know it, ladies and gentlemen. More informative madness after these short messages from our sponsors. The Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group meets bi-monthly to discuss all things paranormal. The group's primary focus is on the topic of UFOs, but they also delve into alien abductions, cryptozoology, Bigfoot crop circles and ghosts. Come with an open mind and be prepared to discover the who, what, when, where, why and how of these phenomena. Meetings are from 7 to 9pm Central Time in the Banquet Room of the American Legion Club in Wake Park, Minnesota. Visit and find out more information at the Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group at LAPIG.org. They also have a fabulous Facebook site. If you look up the Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group, there are hundreds and hundreds of really interesting articles about UFO sightings from all over the world on a daily and weekly basis. This is for people who believe that standing in fields late at night in the dark, staring up at the sky and saying, here I am, come and get me, is perfectly normal. The Minnesota chapter of the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON, meets the second Saturday of every month at the New Brighton Community Centre, New Brighton, Minnesota. Meetings are from 2 to 5 p.m. Central and include investigation reports, open mic, book reviews, videos and guest speakers. Anyone with an interest in UFOs is welcome to attend. For anyone who has experienced a UFO sighting or knows of someone who has, this is the place to be. Meeting agendas, driving directions and tons of UFO information can be found at mnmufon.org. We would also like to thank Jason from Rhapsody Music in Mankato, Minnesota for hooking us up with some of the equipment we are using for tonight's show. The staff at Rhapsody do a great job of helping with all of your questions and needs and with a large selection of musical instruments and sound equipment, the staff is there to help you. And I'd like to give a shout actually to Cactus Tattoos in Mankato. They're a friendly, clean and professional bunch with some amazing artists working down there at reasonable prices for all your tattooing and piercing needs. They also have a Facebook site with fabulous portfolios and artwork that you can look at. That's Cactus Tattoos in Mankato minnesota i would love to hear from you if you would like your business or product advertised live on more questions and answers reaching the nation and beyond with informative well-educated listeners of good taste and a love of the paranormal and all things oddly intriguing you are listening to the only dedicated paranormal news radio show on the planet that makes you very lucky indeed in the lyrics and the words of the reggae legend that is johnny nash there are more questions than answers and the more i find out the less i know which means i'm probably less intelligent than when the show started i'm your host adrian lee famous for being banned in lithuania for introducing the world to dirty hobo water and currently being on minus 18 points but only having said three stories minus 19 i've now lost another <laughs> one if you have just joined us then where have you been and what could have been more important if you have stayed with me then let me raise your spirits further by saying we still have half of the show left for me to lose another 19 points i've been handed a fresh cup of tea and the promise of cookies and i have fresh flashlight batteries my mother has now stopped snoring next door, so onwards we march. We are going to move into the round we call Strange and Bizarre. So, who has stories for me? Kim, do you have a story for me in the themes of Strange and Bizarre? I do. 
Milan orders the removal of a naughty Christmas tree. Wow. A naughty... How could Christmas trees be naughty? This is in Milan in Paris, I'm guessing. Yes. Uh, Paris. Uh, Italy. We're in Italy. Oh, Milan. and I said yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're just agreeing with me to get points, aren't you? A provocatively adorned outdoor Christmas tree in central Milan was just too naughty for city officials who ordered it denuded of its racy red sex toys. Someone's hung sex toys from a Christmas tree. Yes. Why didn't I think of that? The baubles. <laughs> the city said in an order that the Christmas season, qualifying as a holiday for children and families, requires sobriety in urban decorations, in particular when using traditional symbols that distinguish Christmas. Norma Rossetti, who launched an Italian sex toy e-commerce website this year, <laughs> said Friday she complied immediately with the order. But she defended the so-called tree of pleasure, saying the objects chosen were elegant and not obviously X-rated. She said her goal is to break down taboos by making sex toys completely normal, everyday objects. I use mine as a lamp. <laughs> and, you can, and you can put it in the dishwasher. That's yes. Right. Rosetti also acknowledged some complaints, but said most passers-by during the one-day display were enthusiastic. Well, that's the Italians for you, isn't it? I'm just wondering, she said it was all tastefully done, and uh, she's used the term sex toys. You know, I, I'd like to think I'm a rather broad-minded European, and I've been to Amsterdam and Berlin and other places. What kind of toys could be hanging from that Christmas tree that would be acceptable? I just don't understand what they could be. They were... Bob's. They, they, this is a battery-operated boyfriend, is it? Yes. Maybe the fact that they were edible, kind of like putting strung-together popcorn. Edible Bob's? <laughs> edible Bob's. No, something edible, like <laughs> you have candy canes on your tree that are edible, or you have strung popcorn together that is edible. Maybe maybe it was all edible. Do they have a soft center? <laughs> I, uh, I I like I, to bite them. I've never been to... I've been to Italy... Well. Thank you for sharing that with the uh, listeners. We're learning a lot about you tonight, aren't we, Heather? More than I, I said, yeah, more questions than answers. I, I probably know less than when I started, but I have to disagree with that statement. I'm a, you don't like to bite them? I like, well, I like all kinds of chocolate, but I guess it's uh, form before function, isn't it? I've got a story of the mysterious and the strange and the bizarre. It says the State Department of Transportation and contractors building a highway tunnel under downtown Seattle are trying to find out what has blocked their tunnel boring machine. The machine called Bertha ran into something on Friday and was shut down Saturday about a thousand feet into the 1.7 mile project and 60 feet below South Jackson Street and South Main Street. The $18 million machine is designed to break up boulders, so what it has hit is a mystery. It may be a huge boulder left by the last ice age. Others think it could be a buried rail car from the pioneer days when the area was filled in. The engineers are considering drilling down to the object as one of the ways to break up and remove the obstruction. When I read this story, the first thing I thought of was a ufologist who lives in Missouri. His name's Ted Phillips, and uh, I think uh, you've heard us uh, interview him on previous radio shows, and I've done a lot of work with MUFON with Ted Phillips. Ted Phillips has been a ufologist since the days of uh, the Blue Book Project, for example, and uh, he's discovered through the history of Slovakia, he had people come to him because he's a, a top expert in his field, and for many, many decades now, he's been exploring a mountain range in Slovakia because during the Second World War, there was some uh, Czech 
resistance fighters and they hid in the mountains to avoid the Nazi tyranny and they went into a cave to have shelter and at the back of that cave after they wiggled through some narrow crevices they came across an object wedged into the mountain that when they fired their guns at it the bullets just bounced off and it wasn't a surface that they've ever seen before almost like there's a giant UFO buried in the mountainside and there's just a small little gap where you can see the outside of that particular vehicle and he's been researching this for many many decades and if people are interested if they look up Ted Phillips or they type in the word Slovakia or UFO on a Google search for example you'll find his website and he's got some fabulous photographs and information about that UFO that's wedged in the mountain but it just reminds me of that if you're if you've got a drilling machine going under Seattle and it suddenly stops and can't proceed when this huge vehicle is designed you know to break up boulders and the like he says the 58 foot diameter tunnel is scheduled to be completed by the end of 2015, creating a four-lane route for Highway 99 traffic between South Lake Union and the area south of downtown near Seahawks and uh, the Mariners Stadium. It would take until Friday at least for the Seattle Tunnel Partners contracting team to identify the object and to decide how to proceed. This is in fact, this is how Hollywood summer blockbusters begin, isn't it? I wonder if this piece of uh, drilling equipment would have been useful for the guy who had the tick stuck up his nose. He says, <laughs> after removing the obstruction, crews will probably have to inject concrete grout to fill the resulting gaps. The machine requires soil resistance to stay on course. The 1.4 billion tunnel contract is part of the 3.1 billion project to replace the Alaskan Way viaduct along the downtown Seattle waterfront. Obviously, during the worst recession in the history of humanity, um, this isn't stopping road construction. So uh, if this is looking to increase numbers that accessing department stores and stadiums, then you can see where all the money is being ploughed. But we shall let you know what happens and whether they find anything mysterious under the ground underneath Seattle. Does anyone have any more stories for me in The Strange and the Bizarre? Heather, you are waving to me. What have you got for me this week? Cannibal sandwiches sicken Wisconsin residents. Cannibal sandwiches. Yes, and we're sandwiches. sick Wisconsin again. Yes. I feel, yeah, this is uh, this is an odd thing. It, isn't, it, isn't it the case that most of the most famous um, cannibals and uh, serial killers have come from Wisconsin? Am I right in thinking Jeffrey Dahmer came from there? And Ed Gein, perhaps? I need to do some research. I think there's a lot of... It's very cold and lonely and... Are they young, you think? Barren. Why, why, are we, why are we going down this road? Is there a joke at the end of this? That I'm well, it's not old man. Maybe McDonald's. they're fine. Oh, fine young cannibals. <laughs> it's painful. I swear, it's painful. I'd rather have my intestines drawn out before my very eyes than have to go through more of this. Because I know you're going somewhere with it. I just don't know. It's so obscure. I don't know where it's leading. I'm scared. I'll leave you breadcrumbs next time. Right, Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> Fabulous. Cannibal sandwiches, an appetizer featuring raw, lean ground beef served on cocktail bread. Maybe oh, God, I was wondering what you was going to say. When you... <laughs> This, this sandwich is chewy. Take it back. This is a foot long. Is it in Subway? It may be a Wisconsin tradition, but they are not safe, health officials said. Noting, this is a tradition? Yes. We're eating people. Noting that more than a dozen people became ill after consuming, consuming them last holiday season. Who knew? 
Cannibal sandwiches were tied to an E. coli outbreak in Wisconsin in 72, 78, and 94. Is this the age of the people they're eating? No. (laughs) The appetizer is also called tiger meat, steak tartare, or simply ground beef. It's usually a simple dish of lean ground meat seasoned with salt and pepper on a rye cocktail bread served with raw onion. And that's actually quoted by uh, Milwaukee historian John Gurda who served it at his 1977 wedding reception. Occasionally, a raw egg will be mixed with the meat. A raw egg? Onions? Yeah. Can you imagine asking for a cannibal sandwich and saying, sorry, sir, we've run out of onions? Eggs? Or cannibals. We just had Christmas. Yeah. What's a nog? I mean, you get eggnog. You know, can I have an eggnog, please? Sorry, we're fresh out of nogs. We've got plenty <laughs> of eggs. If only we had some nogs. Fresh out. Should have had here, a del- I'll give you a nog. Should have had a delivery. This is violence break. Should have had a delivery Thursday. Fresh out of nogs. Can't get them, you see. There's a rush on. It's Christmas. Can't get a nog. We'll be able to get some in for January. Oh, you're terrible. What is, I mean, I'm asking. I'm opening up the question. What's a nog? I'm not going to answer that. What? Somebody somewhere. I mean, is ba- going to give you a definition of a nog. Baked beans were invented because there was a factory fire. Because you baked a bean. Yes. Okay. Because there was a factory fire, so the beans got cooked in the fire, and when they were wandering around the ruins, there was tins of beans and tins of tomatoes, and they didn't know which were which because the labels had burnt off. So sat there in the ruins, they got a tin of beans, a tin of tomatoes, they mixed them together, and that's how baked beans were invented. I don't put tomatoes in my baked beans. They did back in the... What would you think the tomato sauce is in the baked beans? There is no tomato sauce in baked beans. There is. <laughs> You're thinking probably of pork and beans would be a little bit more tomatoey than baked beans. <laughs> when you get baked, are baked beans in a sauce? Yes. Well, what do you think that is? They don't milk them. That's they don't the bean juice. That's bean juice, is it? <laughs> How many beans do you have to squeeze to make a pint? <laughs> How many times has that been said on a Saturday night? But the fact is that is tomato. So I bet if we got a tin of beans now. And we look to the ingredients, somewhere on that tin there'll be tomato sauce. It's beans in tomato sauce. No, it's not. That's chili. <laughs> well, we're, gonna have to agree. we're never going to find out from the back of a can of beans because bushes have that secret. Yeah, it's their secret recipe and only the dog knows. Okay. Well, based on, I've no idea what you're talking about. If this is American culture, I'm left wanting. The point is, if there was a factory fire... And there was some eggs, and there was some nogs, and they got mixed together. That's how that was invented. It's Greg, you're sure, the- can we ask Siri? Can we ask Siri? Is she? Are we paying her to do this? No. If she's free, I'm happy to ask her. So Greg has now got a phone out. Go for it. Siri, what is a nog and eggnog? There's a long... Checking. Oh, it's chicken, apparently. No, okay, checking. check it out. This better be worthwhile. Live on air. I don't know. Eggnog amount one noggin. One noggin. <laughs> That's what it says. That's all there is on it. So to make eggnog, how many eggs are required to one noggin? Is it part one to one or is it two eggs to one noggin? I'm not sure. Do you have to use fresh noggin? The, the, the mass is there's 4.8 ounces though. There's 4.8 ounces. And it's In a ser- noggin? Yeah, serving volume is four fluid ounces. <laughs> there's four ounces in a noggin. There you go. So uh, apparently there's four ounces in a in a noggin, and uh, you need a fresh noggin, and you need two eggs to each noggin. Do you want me to finish my story? I or? would love you to. I want to be home by one o'clock. 
Uh, well, you got to quit talking then. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> See, I'd be minus 10 points for Heather, please. Minus 10 for Adrian. There we go. I'm on minus 29. I see how this works. <laughs> um, cannibal sandwiches have actually been a festive dish in German, Polish, and other ethnic communities in Milwaukee area since the 19th century. The 66-year-old said it was once common to see them at wedding receptions, meals following funerals. <laughs> wedding receptions. Have you seen Auntie Mavis? I've not, I've not seen her for a couple of hours. Where are you? <laughs> and Christmas and New Year's Eve parties. It's like a coarse pate, and when you put onions on, there's a crunch as well, and that kind of cuts the softness. It's like eating a cold hamburger that's a little on the raw side. And that's what everybody wants, isn't it? A raw hamburger. His butcher shop actually sells 50 to 100 pounds of freshly ground round on Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, and perhaps the day before those holidays to people wishing to make cannibal sandwiches. So in fact, it's just a sandwich that has raw meat in it. and a Raw hamburger, like, ground round or whatever. And they're wondering why people are going around... Getting E. coli. Yeah, I yeah. Who, could, who would have known that? You just season it with a little salt, a little pepper, throw an egg in there. That's uh, Sounds like f- uncooked meatloaf. Uncle, Uncle Frank has just gone straight through me. I mean, I, you know, I was... Uh, is that Your so grandmother was, was talking to you earlier. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, well, we won't move. We won't discuss Scatamancy again live on air. But uh, we're going to move. Have we got any more stories for Strange and Bizarre? No. Should we? Let's move on. This round is called Not For Your Mother. This is the yes. part of the show. If she hasn't left the room already, then I wonder why. Because uh, we've had all kinds of strange things hanging from Christmas trees in Italy and so forth. But this is the part of the show... The stories of the week that perhaps your mother wouldn't want to listen to or you wouldn't want small children running around whilst these stories are being read out. Nevertheless, they have been on all the news agencies. They have been found in newspapers, on websites, in media outlets around the world. Heather, you're looking like you want to uh, jump in straight away enthusiastically or looking at your notes. What have you got for the round that's called Not For Your Mother? I have a couple. So you can circle around and around. I can certainly do that. The first one is stolen artificial arm uncovered at a second-hand shop. In a second-hand <laughs> shop. Was it a one-armed band? I'm here all night. Yes, try the fish. Go on. The usual and distinctive arm is a NASCO Lifeform Advanced Injection Arm and is primarily used for training people to take blood samples. Not for tattooing? No. Okay. Detective Constable Adam Woolman of... Burnmouth CID said during the course of the investigation, police recovered a number of items from the secondhand shop, including this arm. I believe this item may have been in a vehicle either on or around November 25th. I don't know why he thinks that. Last week, police officers arrested two men on suspicion of burglary, and now a 32-year-old man has been charged with burglary and is awaiting trial. A 25-year-old London man has been released on police bail pending further inquiries. So they they felt the long arm of the law. Oh, that's worth... (laughs) Very interesting that you should uh, come up with a story on an artificial arm being discovered. This is, again, not for your mother. It says, kids evacuated from a leisure centre after a false leg is mistaken for a changing room pervert. Stuff spotted a foot left by a swimming disabled man sticking out from under a cubicle at a primary school. 
as pupils got changed after a swimming lesson. Children were evacuated. It's worse, isn't it? In the middle of December, towards the end of December, there's children being evacuated from a swimming pool to stand outside because they think there's a pervert in the chat. Am I the only one who finds that funny? <laughs> yes. Um, it says, children were evacuated from a swimming pool amid fears of a pervert. And there's everyone outside watching, of course, um, in the changing rooms, only to discover the alarm was caused by a false leg. Well, if the shoe fits... <laughs> the eight and nine-year-olds were quickly ushered out by teachers who then went to investigate the find at Larkfield Leisure Centre in Ellsford, Kent. But when they opened the changing room door, they saw the suspected pervert was a prosthetic leg innocently left by a disabled man. He what? left his leg behind? How could you forget something like that? No, he took it off to go swimming. He left it in the changing room. He didn't take it in the pool with him. As a floaty. No, I'm assuming, though, that by the time the children are there, that open swim is done, how could he have left and not taken his leg? I don't know what all the details are, other than the fact that I think he probably swims in really long circles. Kerry <laughs> <laughs> Thomas, head of the Kings Hill Primary near West Morling, said, We had 60 children at the pool that day, although they weren't all in there at once. One of the members of staff had seen it and we quickly removed the children out of the pool and everything was dealt with in accordance with school policy. Um, there's a school policy for one-legged perverts in swimming pools, apparently. And, uh, that school really has their paperwork nailed down, doesn't it? I think what tends to happen in some of the larger leisure centres, they may have an area that's kind of roped off for the children and then they have a public area and have lanes for that okay. as well, I think. is. But I suspect what's happened is that someone's seen the foot coming out from underneath the cubicle and they think that someone, the other side of the uh, the wall, if you like, or the other side of the door may have been doing things that perhaps you shouldn't do. When he never made it to the second leg of the race, huh? <sighs> so, Greg, ever been presented with at least a foot in a changing room cubicle? No, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> the night is still young. I must tell you a very quick story. I was in a, um, I was going to say a concentration camp then, but it's very similar. I was at a holiday camp, and I don't know if you have these in America, but they're very famous in Britain. They were founded in the 1950s, and uh, you can go along to a destination where they have lots of chalets, and you pay for your holiday. It's like a week, but everything's inclusive. They have a swimming pool there. They do entertainment. You can go to the ballroom. They have comedians. They do dancing. Everything's there for you. You don't need to leave the camp and uh, this particular camp is in Clacton it's in Essex so I was about 12 13 at the time and uh, what I didn't realize is that when you jump into this huge swimming pool they have glass windows underneath the swimming pool by the walls they wouldn't do this now I'm sure but it's very innocent isn't it in the 1950s and uh, there was a restaurant where the swimming pool was but you could sit there sat at the table in the restaurant and you could look through the window and you'd see legs going by, for example. It was underwater. So they've got big glass windows that lead into a restaurant. And uh, I dived into the swimming pool at the age of 13 and uh, subsequently I lost my swimming trunks. They went around my ankles because you feel them go down, don't you? And then you part your legs slightly to stop them coming off your feet because once they're off you've got problems so I still had them on they were down by my ankles what's the first thing you do if you jump into a swimming pool 
and your trunks are down by your ankles. What's the natural thing to do at that point? Moon everyone. Well, you may do, but the natural <laughs> thing for me was I grabbed hold of the side of the pole and I pulled myself against the side of the pole so no one could see my bits. And then what I felt was the cold glass of the restaurant <laughs> windows against my appendages, almost squashed. Like, like you'd imagine, you know, a pair of stockings over the top of a, of, a, of a criminal that's doing a bank robbery. Everything got squashed, the nose, of the cheek, you know. So I just imagine there was someone down below. You were 13. How much squashing could happen? Well, it was... <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you after the show. <laughs> and subsequently, uh, like pushing a worm, you know, onto a onto a plate glass window. You imagine, imagine I'm at the patio doors with a worm, and I'm just pushing it, you know. And I just imagine push the, your worm against her patio door. <laughs> <laughs> I know Greg's got a gun, so I'm going to be very careful. <laughs> the point is that there must. I imagine there was a family of four tucking into a sausage and egg. And, uh, you know, there we are. I, I, I made an impression on them, I guess. But uh, that's, if there's anyone listening who comes from the Clacton area that's distraught and uh, remembers that from 1982, then I'd be happy to hear from you. You can contact me at any time during the week or tonight's show in several ways. Firstly, you can send me messages and post comments on my Facebook wall. More questions and answers with Adrian Lee. Or you can visit intparanormal.net. Or you can send me an email to mqta at rocketmail.com Heather, in the round of Not For Your Mother Yes Woman not sure if she saw a penis or a mop handle Well, <laughs> it was dark at the time Did she get a splinter? Oh, sexy girlfriend <laughs> I have no idea what that is Greg's learning all kinds of things, isn't he? It's impressive a teenager accused of exposing his manhood in a burger bar was cleared after the alleged victim admitted she could not be sure. They had to feel it. It was dark. <laughs> How could she not be sure? Harold, Harold, it sounds like you've been disappointed in your past, Kim. <laughs> Sam Bailey, 19, was hauled before the Old Bailey jury accused of sexual assault and indecent exposure in the restaurant in the city of London. He denied the claims from the onset and walked free after the woman admitted she could not be sure whether she had actually seen his penis at all. The cleaner said she could have seen the end of her mop. I dread to think what she's cleaning the floors with. <laughs> or perhaps a doorknob. A doorknob? <laughs> <laughs> Was there a key sticking out of his ass? <laughs> the case has been opened and the witness was about to give evidence when she indicated to the police that the statement she had initially given them might not be so accurate. I love the idea, like the usual suspects, where there's a big row of mops and then there's one guy standing there with his business hanging out. Uh, A further statement was taken from her and the prosecution then had to drop the case when it became apparent that the woman's evidence would not stand up in court. That's a good one. <laughs> what I'm surprised at. Oh, I get some points for that. <laughs> what did I get? What did I get for my uh, swimming pool story? Nothing. Oh, nothing. The same as the trunks I was wearing. There was nothing. <laughs> nothing there. there. It's on you. When you said that was in London, I usually have people come up to me and say, "Oh, I have. I've got a friend living in London. His name's John. Do you know him?" <laughs> so there's 12 million people living in London. I just. You know, it's not like we're living in the in the small towns we live in in Minnesota. It's quite remarkable. Kim, what have you got for me in the theme of not for your mother? Or minors comes to that. 
Mine is 2013's Bizarre Fart Study says people should not refrain from farting on planes. They shouldn't. They should. Wow. <laughs> More juice, anyone? That was called the princess. That was quite delicate, wasn't it? The princess and the pea. <laughs> the study published in the New Zealand Medical Journal stated that cabin pressure can cause a larger amount of gas than normal and that people should not refrain themselves from farting on planes as it can lead to health issues. Talking of health issues. on an air- Elf issues? <laughs> elf is- <laughs> well, this is the Christmas period, of course. I feel sorry for them. They've got nothing to do anymore. I um, you're in a you're in a cigar tube, aren't you? You're breathing all the same recycled air. I just find that terrible that you could just sit there and drop your guts constantly, and it's going around the cabin. That would be. They should issue everybody shreddies. Make that noise again, Greg. That was very impressive. He's having to. <laughs> That's going to need bleaching. He That's didn't gonna... have beans for supper. Going to need boiling. Were, that, were those beans in tomato sauce? Did you notice? Oh. So we're, not, we're all allowed. We're, <laughs> we are going. <laughs> this like blazing, going down the like toilet. Blazing saddles. So um, where am I? Who am I? Why am I here? <laughs> Could you continue? You, you, it's actually giving you permission to uh, be free with your gaseous admissions on aeroplanes. Yes. The Danish researchers Dan- became... Denmark. I should have guessed. Researchers became interested in airline flatulence after confirming that the fact that pressurized cabins make people feel more gassy. <laughs> Is that with the flaps up or the flaps down? Do you feel more gassy when you're under pressure? <laughs> My landing gear normally drops. You're right. Uh, typically, people refrain because of embarrassment. However, the findings showed that this kind of refraining could cause digestive problems, bloating, discomfort, and stress. People should be encouraged to just go for it without feeling embarrassed. The scientists suggested a few measures that could keep planes from being as smelly as it gets, or as being smelly as it gets, and proposed that flatulent passengers should be identified with methane breath tests and denied entry. (laughs) Denied entry? You didn't fart enough. You're not coming into the country. (laughs) That was according to Sky News. Well, that doesn't surprise me. That's Rupert Murdoch. Um, this option may seem a bit far-fetched, as it could appear to be discriminatory and could awaken many other issues. <laughs> <laughs> Another option that the scientists propose is an odor-absorbing charcoal incorporated in airline seats or blankets, and of course, a lot of air fresheners. Wow. <laughs> Another concern. There's more. Yes. Wow. About farting on planes was connected to the pilot, and if it is good or bad for him to just let it go. This is a bit complicated due to the fact that the smell or sound could impact the co-pilot and cause some distraction. <laughs> is this true? Yes. Oh, God, this is remarkable. <laughs> There's people doing surveys and getting paid for doing this. Well, the this. Danish. They've got nothing better to do, have they, than to make Carlsberg and produce bacon. Right. So here we have, if, you, if the pilot actually lets loose, we have a problem with the co-pilot. However, also, if the pilot is refraining himself, he could be the one who becomes distracted and stressed, paying less attention to his job and more to his gassy condition. Given the choice, I'd rather the pilot just do what he needs to do and uh, get me down safely. That's the way to go. This reminds me of, uh, I was very, um, I've got some very elderly relatives. I've got a, an auntie and an uncle that live by the sea, by the coast. And I thought <laughs> I would take them out 
for a day. So I, I picked them up in my car and I took them to the local manor house where you could walk around and there's paintings and objets d'art and fabulous furniture. And I thought that would be a good day out for them. I don't know if anyone has similar problems to me, but when I take two elderly relatives out for the day... Do you get gassy? I, I, well, I don't personally, but you've got to remember there's a really hushed reverential silence walking around you know the library and the billiard room it's like a game of clue i guess in a big mansion house and uh, my two elderly relatives just farted with complete gay abandon it was just like constantly and uh, the thing i learned about that particular i mean i was embarrassed to start with and then i thought to myself well this gives me a really good opportunity just to go whenever I want, really. So I, I just let go at every given opportunity, and I just stared at my auntie um, anytime anyone looked round, and all was good with the world. Actually, what I remember from that trip is that they had a field with some livestock in it, and uh, I'd gone to get some ice creams, and I came back, and there was a donkey, and it was licking a metal post, like like a really cold metal post where its fence was. And I said to my uncle, "Why is, why is the donkey licking the post? Apparently, he'd given him a whole tube of extra strong mints and the donkey had eaten them. And it was licking the cold metal post to try and get some salvation, I guess. But uh, that's that's the... You licked a pole to get some salvation? (laughs) The donkey did. (laughs) I'm not going to admit anything live on air, unlike yourself. Um, What I have got, this is again a story for Not For Your Mother. It says here, with the headline, Man claims big black snake bit his penis in a toilet. A man in Ghana claims he was using a public toilet when a big black snake bit him on the tip of his penis on Wednesday. Um, ever had a big black snake in a public toilet, Heather? Any any stories there? I'm not admitting anything <laughs> live on air. Kwabin Andukrama, 34, said the pain was intense and that he ran out of the public toilet screaming snake, which in turn caused others using the facilities to panic and flee. I've got this image of people running out with, with their underwear around their ankles and kind of doing a penguin walk, I guess. Nukrama told a local radio programme he thought the pain on his penis was normal until he looked down and saw the snake. It really isn't normal, is it, unless you've been uh, putting parts of your body into places they shouldn't be, that you have the pain of a snake bite every time you go for a wee. That's what cranberry juice is for, isn't it? Um, this was a public toilet. It, the public toilet reportedly was in a deplorable state. Um, even without the snake problem. So the burning question is, did anyone volunteer to suck the poison out? (laughs) Imagine coming home early from work. For 27 cents. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's gone up in price. It says, uh, can you imagine coming home from work and saying, what are you doing, dear? Oh, the plumber's got a snake bite. (laughs) I would be asking, I'd be going to the doctor and asking for something to take away the pain, but to keep the swelling i like the way he comes running out you can imagine him running out of the toilet with the snake with its teeth embedded and you know that's swaying around and then as he's shouting out snake 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 (laughs) the place empties like dropping a box of whoppers onto a walmart floor and everyone's running in different directions i have to go back where did you say this happened what city this is in ghana it's in africa so i don't think their public toilets are necessarily and they've got some big black snakes in ghana let's face it so uh, there's my story of uh, penis-biting snakes in toilets in Uganda. I have one story left, and Heather, you have one story mm-hmm. left as well. I will finish on my story, and then you can have yours. You can have the last word. This is your last chance for points. How many do I need? Um, a lot. 47. Okay, it's going to be a 47-point story. I'm going to grab 
victory. It says a beast virgin, Greg Casarona, ended up in hospital the first time he tried to have sex with his girlfriend. Heavyweight thrusts of 440 pound Greg Casarona smashed his skinny girlfriend's head through a concrete <laughs> through a concrete wall, giving her concussion. See, it's not the size of the nail that counts, it's the size wow. of your hammer. Virgin Greg Casarona felt the earth move the first time he had sex. Unfortunately, it was the masonry falling as his girlfriend's head bashed through the wall. Imagine being the neighbours and having your girlfriend's head go through their wall as they're watching the television. Morbidly obese Greg Casarona has been dating Jen Gokarakis for a month when they decided to sleep with each other. Very romantic, isn't it? Unfortunately... As 31 stone Casarona became Casanova, he failed to take into account the power behind his near quarter of a tonne. As the, as the enormous, I was going to say as the enormous, as the amorous 21-year-old and his eight stone girlfriend got intimate, her head went straight through the wall behind them. <laughs> Greg said, my initial reaction was, I killed her. This is my first time and Jen is dead. Fortunately, she saw the funny side. And as she freed her head, she quipped, why did you stop? She said, I wanted to lighten the mood. That's the only thing that was light in this story. He took her to a hospital where she was treated for concussion or percussion, as my grandmother would say. Oh, I've got percussion. Well, there's no need to brag, is there? I am. Um, you I ever heard, put a woman's head through the wall? Not recently. I am. Um, <laughs> I heard that Greg's so good in the bedroom, actually, that when he's finished, the neighbours smoke. <laughs> he lives on a farm, everyone. <laughs> yeah, that's six miles away. <laughs> that's got to be worth some points, surely. Okay. Heather, you have the very, very last story of the night, and I never thought it would come, but here we are. So what have you got for me? Why I stuck a firecracker up my clacker. That's a banger, isn't it? You're going to know who your friends are, aren't you, if you're going to go to hospital with those problems? A man who suffered serious burns when friends lit a firecracker in his bum says he was just showing his visiting mates a territory good time. A good time? Apparently. I'm going to show everyone a good time. I'm going to stick explosives up my bottom. Will you? No, I just I was just <laughs> rhetorically just saying that. I, that's not a contractual agreement live on air. Alex Bowden, 23, of Wegaman, Darwin, put a spinning flying bee winged firecracker in his butt crack during a party at a rented house in Rossiter Street, Rapid Creek, on Saturday night. Rapid Creek. Wait a minute. Let's go back. Did you say Wagaman? Wagaman. Wagaman. I like that. What's Wagaman? That's the town That's in the name Darwin. Of the town, mm-hmm. I was more interested in the fact it was Rapid Creek, which, of course, you would have if you were running with a firework up your bottom. I had a few lads up from Queensland. This is how it all starts, isn't it? <laughs> and I had put on a, I, and I had to put on a good show. I just had a few beers with the boys and let off a few firecrackers, and then I put one up my arse. Oh, as you do. I mean, this is a natural progression, isn't it? This is how all good drinking games start. It didn't burn my balls well, or my back. Rectum. It down near blew them apart. <laughs> the fitter and turners said. Just my fingers and my arse. It was a pretty loose one, hey? (laughs) It is now. (laughs) The cracker burned his bum cheeks and his index. 
middle and ring fingers on his right hand. His ring what? It which was- he used to pull the firecracker from his crack. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Bowden was not bleeding after it, and he could walk afterwards, too. Remember, boys and girls, don't try this at home. Go to someone else's house and do it. Maybe just don't invite the boys from Queensland. Well, Australia, yeah. the Australians do have a very strange sense of humour and uh, do very strange things. Wasn't there an incident during a Kiss concert where they let a firework whiz across the auditorium from a codpiece and it exploded, causing serious damage and burns? I'm sure that's true. But Kiss, I mean, Kiss put on a, a, a very... Quiz. Quiz. Quiz put on a great show with a their between quad piece. Queen and Kiss. <laughs> so, Heather... Yes. All good oh. things, all good things wait, come to an wait, end. Wait, so hold on. I'll give you the scores. Yeah, that's what I'm now waiting for. In reverse order, the, 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 the person who's come bottom with the K2 meter and the dead battery on a resounding minus... 29. 29 is... You. Who knew? I knew. You knew. <laughs> Everyone else knew. <laughs> In fact, I was the only one who didn't know. And the winner? Oh, well, I want third and second places as well. We're all winners. We're, we're all winners. We're all special. Greg finished the night out at 17. For playing the harp and making cow noises. And fart juice noises. Very well deserved. I wish he'd have kept his pants on. Kim finished the night out at 17. 17's a hefty score. That's a good... And I finished the night out at 17. You, you are the $33,000 IR. Isn't it strange camera. that we all won on Adrian's lucky number? 17 yeah. is a lucky number. Yes, yeah, my birthday, of course. No, it's not. I'm telling you, I was there. <laughs> so was my mother. In fact, when I was born, my mother slapped the... <laughs> the midwife slapped my mother. There we go. <laughs> and then your mother slapped the midwife. <laughs> well, I was. if I was... Uh, my dad said, before I was uh, given the name of Adrian, um, if I was going to be a girl, my dad, my dad was going to call me a day. Because he took one look at me when I was born and said, I think I'll call that a day. So. One second. Oh, there's more, is there? Yeah. Okay. Before you end the show. Mm-hmm. I'm worried now. I'm scared. I don't feel like I need to be in control and I don't feel I am. I just wanted to let all of us say Happy New Year to all our guests. Wow. And Absolutely. Listeners. Happy New Year to everyone. I hope your New Year's resolutions you can stick to. We're here Every week, bringing you the stories of the strange, the bizarre, the supernatural, and the weird, if the last two hours are anything to go by. But do not fear. Remember, we are back with a whole new bunch of stories next week at the same time. And I would love for you to join me for a fun and informative journey through the world of the paranormal, strange, intriguing, bizarre, and weird. Please tell your friends and family about the show. Share your Facebook sites with us and uh, feel free to contact me anytime on more questions and answers with Adrian Lee or you can email me at mqta at rocketmail.com My gratitude and greatest thanks are extended to Lorna Hunter, Heather Morris, Yaton Drainer, Kim and Greg Gore and all at the International Paranormal Society at intparanormal.net and all of the show's sponsors including the Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group, MUFON of Minnesota, Rhapsody Music in Mankato and Cactus Tattoos in Mankato. It just remains for me to say thank you for listening, have a happy new year and remember be interested and interesting. Good night.